Thank you, Tim, and good morning, everyone. Great to have you here. Great to see you in person. Great to imagine you uh, tuning in online. Um, if you haven't met me before, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just great to be together. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, prayer this morning, so I'm going to begin uh, by praying, because that seems to be the right way to go. So let me pray together. Let me pray with you. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, this place that we can gather in. We thank you for the technology where people can tune in. Um, Lord, I pray that this would be a time uh, where we not only just get to, in a sense, be together, but we get to grow closer to you. Uh, I pray, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, that as you speak to us through it, uh, Lord, our hearts would be changed. I pray you give us soft hearts to, to really hear and listen. And I pray in particular when it comes to the topic of prayer, Jesus, what you're teaching about here in this text, that, um, that we would look at our lives. We would look at the pattern of prayer and also the, the pattern of our life. We thank you, Jesus, that you speak into all things that are necessary for us to, to grow in, uh, in good ways. And so I pray you do that again. And uh, I do continue to pray, Lord, for an alleviation uh, to, the, to the crisis going on in our world. We pray, Lord, for a vaccine to come quickly. We pray, Lord, for all those in crisis right now, for whatever it may be, health or financial, Lord, that you would bring relief and that we as a church um, would show what it means to love those around us as you love us. So I pray all of this and pray right now, Lord, that we would experience that love again. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, as I said, uh, we are going to be talking about prayer. Uh, in fact, uh, for the next two weeks, we are going to dip our toe into Luke chapter 11. After that, we're going to take a break. We're going to go into a different series for the fall. We'll come back to Luke again, uh, I'm sure, sometime this year. Uh, but uh, before, we, before we leave it, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, as a way to, to begin thinking about prayer, I wanted to give you uh, just a picture to have in your mind uh, of what kind of the Bible says prayer should be like for us as Christians. If you're here this morning, if you're tuning in, you're a believer, you know, how should we think about prayer? So here's the picture just to get us going. Um, I would say a good picture of prayer is, um, you know, if you go grocery shopping, you probably know the difference between shopping for a specialty item and a basic thing that you have around your house all the time. Uh, specialty items are things that you might get when you're trying out a new recipe, right? My wife loves to try out new recipes, so I'll get text messages with these things that I don't, I don't know what they are. She'll say, pick up some endives on the way home. I don't know what that is, so I Google it. Oh, it's a vegetable. So then I go and find that. Sometimes she'll ask for things that I know what it is, but I've never looked for it. Creme fraiche. Sardines. Where do, you, where do you find these things? These are not things we usually have in the home. They're tasty, right? They're great when uh, put together in uh, some sort of a, a special uh, recipe, but they're not the basics. The basics for us, every other day, we need to go to the store. We buy eggs, milk, uh, bananas, tortilla chips, and French bread, pretty much. Uh, anytime I go into the grocery store, I come up with bananas. We go through them like it's ox oxygen. I don't know what it is. We go through a lot. You probably have some things like that where you just know they have to be in the fridge and everything will go well. If I get up in the morning and there are no eggs and there is no Vienna French bread floured unsliced from the Monday Park Bakery near our house, I, it's a bad day. Like I'm very disappointed. I have to really pray through it and struggle through it because that I make this breakfast. I always use those ingredients. It's, it's the basics. So here's the first thing that we just need to remind ourselves about prayer Prayer is a basic part of the Christian faith. It, it's, it's a basic. It's something that is just part of our routine, part of our life. Um, that may seem obvious, but the reason that I think it needs to be said is that it, it can be the case 
that as believers, we tend to treat prayer like a specialty item. Uh, meaning we, we do, you know, we pray for meals and that kind of thing. But when it comes to really prayer, that set aside intentional prayer, that really only happens when there's something special going on. Uh, someone is being born, someone is close to death, there's some financial or medical crisis. At that point, then we really pray, we ask others to pray for us, but it's kind of a special circumstance. What we need to realize is that that is not the picture we get from looking at the life of Jesus. Uh, if you look at the life of Jesus, he's praying all the time. I mean, he is praying at some special times. Um, when he is baptized, there's a reference there that he's, he's in prayer. But if you look even just through the book of Luke, what you'll find uh, is his ministry could be described like a prayer tour of the area of Galilee. Like he's praying all the time, and then sometimes he stops and he preaches a sermon or he heals someone or he does a miracle, but he's, he's praying the whole time. Prayer was a basic rhythm of Jesus' life. And so it's no surprise that his disciples began to ask him, you know, how, how should we pray? Should we pray like that? What, what should it look like? And so um, that's how this text begins. So here's just the first verse of our text, uh, Luke 11, verse 1. The disciples, uh, here's what happens. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So that's the lead-in. Um, it was typical for rabbis, spiritual leaders, to teach the disciples how to pray. Um, that reference there is to John the Baptist. And so they were saying, we, we want you to teach us as well. Uh, it's also worth noting that this was probably, I mean, certainly not the only time that Jesus taught about prayer. And it wasn't even the only time he taught this prayer. Uh, if you look at Matthew 6, there's another example of the Lord's Prayer, a different version of it. It's not the same one, it's, it's different. And what this tells us is that prayer was a regular part of Jesus' life and his ministry. And so what he makes very clear is that if you're going to be one of his disciples, that you should embrace this rhythm of life. That prayer is just one of the basics. It's there day in, day out. Um, J.I. Packer is a theologian. Lived in the Vancouver area, actually. Um, passed away recently. But he had this to say about prayer. I think this is helpful. He says, prayer is the spiritual measure of men and women in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. Now you might wonder, why, why does he put so much emphasis on prayer? How can it be that, you know, how we pray is like one of the most important questions about our faith? And I think the answer is that, you know, you can tell a lot about someone's relationship with someone else uh, when you learn how, how they communicate. Like the level of communication tells you kind of level of intimacy and, and understanding and, and knowledge. Um, this came to my mind, uh, I was listening this week to an interview uh, about a, with a Vietnam War veteran. And the interviewer was just asking him kind of about the experience, what it was like. And uh, one thing in particular they asked was, you know, in light of the horrors of what was going on there and the difficulties and challenges each day, what, what is the thing that got you through each day? And the guy said, you know, the thing that was like a lifeline to me uh, was letters from home. When I got a letter from my mom, from my girlfriend, it was like, man, I was just infused with life. That was what I, what I clung to. And the interviewer asked him, you know, did your dad write to you while you were over there in Vietnam? And he said, he said, no. He said, my dad wasn't really a letter writer. And you could kind of hear in his voice, I mean, the guy was in his 70s, but you could still hear a bit of the hurt, a bit of the disappointment. It tells you something about that relationship that his dad wouldn't write to him when he was off at war. See, a disciple 
who doesn't pray is a lot like a family member who doesn't write or pick up the phone. I mean, there's a sense in which they're still part of the family, but, but there's no real intimacy. There's no real understanding because the communication is just not there. And that's not how Jesus wants us to relate to God. He wants us to really know the Lord. He wants us to have a deep and vibrant relationship with him, which means that prayer needs to be part of our basic daily routine. Now, it's not one size fits all, right? Uh, depending on what kind of person you are. I'm a morning person, so that's one of the first things I do. It's just to kneel, spend some time in prayer, sets me up for the day, helps me remind myself of biblical truths. Um, that, for me, is the best. For some of you, you need six or seven cups of coffee before you're conscious, so it's going to be later, I would think, right? You're probably not the first thing. That, that's okay. Um, but what I would say is that I, I, when I first came to faith in my teens, there was a long season of time where I didn't have a regular rhythm of prayer. And as I look back, I can see that that really hindered my faith, that I, that I didn't know the Lord in the way that I wanted to or needed to. I wasn't growing in my faith, and I think my lack of prayer was a big part of that. So if that's you, uh, the good news is that it's always a good day to start talking to God, uh, that you can do that today. You can start the new habit of prayer today, right now, when you get home. Um, you don't have to wait for any special time. And the other good news is that Jesus doesn't just give us uh, the example of a life of prayer, but he tells us how to pray. That's, that's what he was asked. So we're going to look to his answer. Uh, his answer has become known as the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm going to read it uh, starting in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So the first question that I think probably we should ask, you might be wondering, is how closely do we need to follow this example of prayer? Like, is this a guideline of prayer, or is this something that we should memorize, and every time we pray, we should say these exact words? Well, um, I would say it's always a good idea to memorize Scripture. So it, we want it hidden in our heart. That's a good thing for us to do, so that, that's not a bad thing at all. And it's a good thing to pray the words of Jesus. That's something that sh should and could be a regular part of our routine. However, I don't think the intention of Jesus here is that we would pray just these words every time that we pray over and over again. And the reason I say that is because we actually have another example of this prayer and the words are slightly different. Uh, in Matthew 6, we have the Lord's Prayer, another time that Jesus is teaching on this. And uh, I'm going to put them up on the screens or at home side by side. Uh, if you're here, it's a little small to see, but you can at least see that it's longer. Matthew 6 is a bit longer. There's some words that are added. Um, it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what you can see there, I think, is that uh, the difference in wording doesn't change the meaning. In fact, those extra words are just an extension of the same core ideas. So when we're thinking about the Lord's Prayer, what we should be thinking of is not a blueprint, but rather building codes. You know the difference? A blueprint, you, if you get a build blueprint out, you're building the same house every time, right? Same structure, same, maybe the color's different, but it's pretty much the same house. But building codes... Uh, those are directions, guidelines for how you need to build a house. So a BC building code will tell you how far apart the joists need to be, tell you some structural importance, how to ventilate the home, but it does not tell you how many bedrooms you should have, where the kitchen should be, 
what style it should be in, that is up to the homeowner. They take the building cones and they make it their own. Uh, that's what we need to do with the Lord's Prayer. Now, these building codes that he gives us are important. The things that Jesus speaks here, the themes, the, the truths, they reflect the heart of God. They reflect the, the focus of the Christian life. But to put them into practice in our own prayer life, that means we're going to look at what's going on in our life and pray those themes into what we need and what's going on. And, and it helps us, it edifies us, but it's not probably going to be exactly the same every time. So building codes, the Lord's Prayer, what you might also notice is that there are two sections. Uh, verse 2 is the kind of the vertical dimension of prayer. It's all about God. Uh, the 3 and 4 is the horizontal dimension of prayer, which is also about God, but it's really about the things that we need, the things that we're asking for. So you have vertical dimension and then horizontal dimension. Uh, for our time today, we're going to focus on the vertical. Because I want to go through each expression bit by bit and really look at the deeper meaning of it. And then next week, we're going to look at the horizontal dimensions of prayer. So let's, uh, let's dive in. First part of the Lord's Prayer is one word, Father. Now, most of us probably are not surprised that that's how it starts. Because even if you're not part of the church, you probably heard it on TV or a movie Right, that's how prayers start. Our Father who art in heaven, and then you go on from there. Uh, but for the disciples, this would have been very surprising. I mean, to refer to the creator of the universe as your father or as your dad, I mean, that was not common at all. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, there's only a dozen references to God as father, and it, it usually is to do with the father of a nation. It's not like an individual father. Uh, they had many names for God. They had Yahweh, like Elohim, Jehovah-Jireh, Adonai. Um, all of these names had specific meanings about the character of God. But they never uh, talked to, about God as Father. Even like the heroes of faith, like Moses, Abraham, David, they didn't speak about God as their dad. They said Lord, or they said Yahweh. But Jesus, Jesus almost always refers to God as, as Father and he clearly invites his disciples to do the same. Like back then and today, that's, that's how we can and should refer to the Lord. Which again, would have been shocking, but also was consistent. If you remember last week, we saw Jesus uh, say very clearly, look, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, then you need to be like a little child. And by that, what he meant was you need, we need to be dependent, trusting, humble. And so here what he's saying is in prayer, that should be your same attitude. That, that we're like little children and God is like our, our father, which means he's not distant. He's not an all-powerful deity in the sky that's kind of far removed from us. He's close. He knows us. He knows our lives. He's at work in our lives. So the meaning here of this father, we could say it this way. We, we can, we should draw near to God. That's what's being expressed in just this first word. The invitation is for us to draw near to the Lord because we have a Savior who mediates our relationship now. Our sin is done away with. We can draw near even to the God of the universe. We can be sure that he loves us, that he knows us. This is easier said than done, though. Um, it's tough for many of us to conceive of God as Father. I remember hearing a story of a prison in the, in the United States. Uh, they had the idea to, uh, to help the inmates, inmates uh, write Mother's Day cards. On Mother's Day, they set up like a, a table in the commons area. And when Mother's Day came around, uh, the guys loved it. They came, they all uh, got help writing cards for their moms. So the prison official said, well, let's do it again for Father's Day. 
Father's Day came around, and they set up the table, and, and no one showed up. None of the guys were interested in, in sending a card to their dad. We know, though, that it, you don't have to be in prison to have a, a conflicted relationship with your dad. And this can make it hard to relate to God with any sense of real intimacy. But the thing that we should see here is that if we keep God at a distance, then we are going to miss out on the blessings and, and joys of re really being his child. That the sense of closeness and, and, and relational family kind of intimacy is necessary. I mean, whether we've actually received you know, security and confidence and affection from our earthly dad or not, our heavenly father has a perfect track record of caring for his children, for absolute faithfulness. So when we pray, we should pray with a sense of nearness to the Lord. We should think of him as he actually is, not far off, not distant, but as a, as a wise and gracious father who delights in caring for his children. I mean, when we get down in prayer, he's all ears. He really wants to hear what's on our heart, even though he knows it already, and he wants to be active in our life. He wants us to realize the, the connection that we already have. So that's the first word. This, this invitation to draw near to the Lord in prayer in our life. The second thing uh, is uh, an expression, a phrase. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallow is probably an unfamiliar word unless you're a fan of Harry Potter and then you know the Deathly Hallows. And I'm not going to try to explain uh, how that makes any sense um, in terms of what J.K. Rowling was doing. But the word hallow... It really means to honor something as holy. And here in particular, the thing that's being honored is God himself. Uh, throughout the Bible, the name of God is synonymous with his character, with his being. So what's being said when we say, hallowed be your name, is, is God, we want you to be magnified. We want the spotlight to be on you. We want all of your amazingness to be known throughout the world and throughout our lives. Uh, you could say it this way. We want, Father, you to be glorified. That's a, a concise way to say it, maybe a more familiar term. Uh, we want, Father, you to be glorified, to be honored, to be, to be magnified in our lives because when you glorify something, it means that you make much of it. Uh, there's many times we make much of other, other things, but to, to glorify God means to make clear that he is who we trust, he is who we love. We realize everything is from him. So the reason that this is the first request of this prayer is that the glory of God is what Christians believe the universe is really all about. Um, we see this all over the Bible. That, that's why we believe it. Because from beginning to end, we see that the glory of God is what our lives as individuals, as the church, uh, as, as the, the world is all about. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. One from the Old Testament, one from the New. Uh, here's Psalm 19.1, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Which means, as you look at the world around you, what you should be thinking is, man, who made this? How did this come to be? What kind of amazingly powerful and creative being did this? And in all of that, you're glorifying God. You're saying, man, you're amazing. So I love watching nature documentaries. See all the creatures that God made. But in 1 Corinthians, it's made much more personal. Right? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Which means that in our own hearts, in our everyday lives, the things that we are enjoying, even the trials that we are going through, we can give glory to God because he's with us, because he's, he's at work. It's a very personal thing as well. To live for the glory of God means that we will be most satisfied. We will enjoy our life all the more because we recognize where everything is from. 
Now, the other reason we know this, this issue of what we glorify, what we glory in is most important, is that sin uh, is described as ultimately glorifying something other than God. Uh, we find this in Romans 1, 21 and 23. Uh, this is talking about uh, human beings in our sin. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Uh, so that's talking about idolatry, right? Actual statues that people would worship, um, still do today. But it's also really talking about this inclination of our heart to worship things other than God. That's, that's what it's saying sin is. Sin is when we, we glorify something that God made rather than God himself. And that always means um, a lack of joy for us in time, a lack of satisfaction in time, and it puts us right away at odds with the Lord. That's the essence of sin. So Jesus begins with this because this is the issue for humanity. This is the key thing that we need to, to figure out. Even after we come to faith, uh, we can be sidetracked and we can start living for the glory of lesser things. So if this is part of our regular prayer life, then it, it kind of acts like a course correction for us every day. Uh, you know in those big ships, right? They have navigators and their job is to take readings, measurements, look at the stars, the horizon, GPS, whatever they look at, and they tell the person steering the boat, look, you gotta go a little to the left, or starboard, whatever it is, you know, the ship terms. They keep them on course. That is what this does for us. It can do. If we're praying it with a genuine heart, we can be saying, Lord, I, I want you to glorify yourself in my life. Help me to see, Lord, where I am not. Father, help me to see where the decisions I'm making, where the way I'm living, it is not, in fact, magnifying you, but rather is magnifying something else. Because that's the thing about this prayer. The intention is not just that we say the words. The, the intention is that we're praying the words and seeking to live them out in our lives faithfully. That's why we pray this, because we're asking God to do this in our lives. So what would it look like then, right, for us to hallow the name of God? What kind of a, what kind of a life would we live? Well, the opportunities to glorify God are endless, I mean, every day, every decision, we have an opportunity to, to be obedient to the word of God, right? To demonstrate our trust in God, to maybe do things that are not immediately apparent, like it, it seems costly, it seems difficult, and yet we're doing it because we want to be obedient. We want people to know that we follow the Lord. There's so many different examples each day, whether we eat or drink, everything, where we can genuinely glorify the Lord. But I would like to take a few moments to talk about something that is really one of the basic ways that we as Christians can hallow the name of God. And I want to talk about this one thing because while it's the most basic thing, um, it's also become a more difficult thing in the last six months. And what I'm talking about is, is the gathering together of the church for worship, like on a Sunday morning, like what we're doing right now. Um, if you think about what happens when the church gathers, it really is all about the glory of God. It's all about the hallowing of, of God because when we come together, that's the whole point. We sing songs about how great God is, all the truths of what he's done for us. I mean, we prioritize this, this gathering because we have to set it aside in our, in our mind. Um, it's at the beginning of the week because the early church wanted it to be the very first thing that they did, that they gathered together, worshiped God. There's uh, usually a time of prayer that's available. We devote ourselves to the word. It's also a very public thing. People see us pulling up to the church. The doors are open. 
All of this says, Jesus, you are the most important thing in our lives. Jesus, this is what we are going to devote ourselves to. It's going to be a regular rhythm of our lives. In fact, in fact the word church itself uh, in the Greek is ekklesia. And what that means literally is congregation of the faithful. So, so church is not something that we do as a people. It's who we are. We are the gathered, the, the, the people who gather together for the worship of God. Uh, it's also worth noting that in the Bible itself, we are commanded to gather together. Uh, there's a part in Hebrews where there's a group of people that were not meeting together. And um, here's what it says. Uh, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what it means to be the church, that we gather regularly, that we rejoice in God regularly, together, publicly, in each other's presence, in the presence of God. But of course, we know that, that COVID uh, is testing this expression of our faith. Uh, we, we know that before COVID, it was relatively easy uh, to gather as a church, right? You could just wake up. You could decide what gathering you wanted to go to last minute. You could roll out of bed, come in late, uh, grab a coffee, squeeze in next to someone. It was, all, it was pretty easy. I mean, if you had young kids, none of that is ever easy. But when you got here as a young family, you could put the kids in, in the kids' classes and you could focus on what was going on. But now, everything's harder. Now we have to you know, have concerns about the virus itself. We have to think ahead to book seats so that we know what gathering we're, we're going to. We have to wear a mask while we sing to protect each other. We can't get too close to people. There's no homemade baking. It's a travesty, right? It's very difficult. A lot of hardship. All of this could lead us to think, you know what, maybe it's just not worth it. We might as well stay at home in our pajamas. It's a lot easier all more convenient, we still get to tune in. Why would we even bother with all of that hassle, with everything that's going on? So here's my answer. We would bother with that because convenience and safety have never been defining factors for us as a church. Convenience and safety have never defined us as a church. I mean church for all time, all over the world. What defines us is a heart to glorify God that we would inconvenience ourselves, that we would go through difficult times so that we would glorify God in every aspect of our lives, including the opportunity to come and to, and to worship him. Now hear me, is, is safety a contributing factor? Absolutely. When the pandemic first struck, right? We didn't know the scope of it. The health officials said, everyone's got to stay inside. We as the church said, absolutely. Right? We're called to love our neighbors. We don't want to put anyone in peril. So we're going to do that. We're going to go online. But now as opportunities come to gather again, we want to take advantage of them. One other example from history is, is in World War II, uh, the churches on the coast of England, uh, they used to have, at that time, evening services. And the military said, look, you, you can't have evening services because the German U-boats, are there. they're going to see the lights. They're going to start bombing the cities. And so the church, of course, said, well, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to have services in the morning or at different times. They complied because the threat was imminent and because they loved their community, wanted to show that love. But listen, if the church only gathered when it was convenient and completely safe, then large portions of the, portions of the Christian church all over the world would never gather. I mean, there, 
There are Christian brothers and sisters in areas of the world where it's illegal, where it's dangerous to have services. And what do they do? They still find ways to gather. They put themselves in harm's way. They inconvenience themselves, travel great distances, whatever it takes, because they realize that the gathering of the church is not just something that they do, it's who they are. They long to be in each other's presence, to pray for each other, to hear from the word, to worship God together. It's life-giving. And so they, they willingly put themselves through inconvenience, through difficulty, so that God may be honored. I was listening to a, to a pastor talk about, uh, he was talking with people who were active in the underground church in China, and he was saying to them, you know, tell me a bit about the persecution, like what it's like. Like, have your gatherings ever been raided? And they said, oh yeah, all the time. They described, you know, having to hide in crawl spaces and escape. And, but as they were talking about it, he, what he noticed was that they weren't talking about it like, oh man, we're never doing that again. Like that, that was scary. That, that freaked us out. They were, he said, kind of jovial about it. They were laughing a bit about some of the situations they were in because they had just accepted that this was normal, that they were a persecuted church. And as they read their Bible, it seemed a lot like what Jesus described the life of the church would be, that it would be dangerous, costly, but that it was worth it. See, for us here in the West, we haven't had that kind of a life that much. So this is unfamiliar to us. But we should take note of this prayer. This, this should be at the center of our heart that we want to hallow God in every aspect of our lives, especially in our life as the church. So a couple of things I want to say, and that is this. I'm not interested, and you shouldn't be interested in taking note of who is here and who is not. Right? Not interested in that. What I'm interested in doing is pushing each of us to examine the priorities of our heart to see whether, in fact, we do have a desire to hallow the name of God at great expense to ourselves or whether convenience and fear have begun to rule our lives. Because that's, that's the heart of what Jesus is leading us to in, in, in praying this thing. So, so listen, again, we're all in different situations. There may be some of us who have been instructed by our doctors or for whatever reason are just feeling like, look, we need to stay at home. That is totally fine. That's why we have this streaming service. And if that's you, I would simply say to, to be consistent with that. Meaning get support from the church, from those in your life to bring in supplies so that we can support you and, and keep you safe. But if you're someone who is going to work, going to school, going to the mall, going to Ikea, but not coming to gather as a church, then the priorities of your life are being revealed. And what you should see there, especially according to this prayer, is there's an inconsistency between the heart of this prayer, which is to glorify God and the way that, that we are living. See, now is, is not the time for the church to do what is easy. It's never been the time for the church to do what is easy. It's always the time for us to show our convictions about what, what life and security and peace is really all about. And for us, it's all about Jesus so we're going to come together. We're going to worship. We're going to glorify him. We're going to invite others in and say, look, you're having a tough time. Come, gather, hear the word. Be encouraged as we come together as a church. Now, we do this faithfully. We, we don't do this in a defiant way, just so you know. It, if things change, if our healthcare professionals say, you know what, the threat is more imminent, we're scaling things back, we're going back to phase one or two, whatever it is, well, we will comply. Right? We don't want to put anyone in harm's way. But our conviction as followers of Jesus must be that we will take every opportunity to glorify God, to honor him with the way that we live. So I would invite you, 
If you haven't yet come back and gather, what Tim said is happening next week. We are tripling our capacity. We're having three gatherings. We're having two zones, separate, following all the provincial regulations. And our goal there is to give as much opportunity as we can so that we can come, we can gather, we can hallow the name of God together. We can be blessed and God can be glorified. That's the second part of our prayer. We got one more. This part will be shorter, I promise. The last part uh, after Father, hallowed be your name, is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, this would have been a, a bit um, confusing for the people at the time. And that's because when Jesus arrived, I mean, when he started his ministry, um, he began to preach about the kingdom. Here's what he said in Mark 1.15. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you can imagine uh, people, you know, hearing him preach, right? They saw him preach, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. But now what he's saying to them is, you need to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And this seemed to be a bit of a contradiction, right? So is, did the kingdom, is it here already or is it coming? What, what should we pray for? What should we hope in? Because of the confusion, uh, they asked him about this. So here's what they asked Jesus in Luke 17. Uh, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. <clears throat> so I don't know if that helped them, because it's still a little bit confusing, but what Jesus was saying, and, and is clear now that we see the full gospel, the full revelation of the New Testament, is that the kingdom of God is not like a regular kingdom. It was like a regular kingdom in the sense that there was a King David and there was like, you know, dividing lines and taxation laws. But now the kingdom has come as a spiritual kingdom. It will be manifested physically when Jesus returns. But for right now, there is a real sense in which the kingdom has come. Satan has been disarmed, defeated. Sin has been defeated. The spirit of God is ruling and reigning in our lives. We can legitimately say we are in the kingdom. And yet... It is not fully realized. There's more to come. And so when we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, there's really two things that we're praying. I'll put them up on, on the screen. The first is this. We're praying, Jesus, return soon. Jesus, we, we want you to come. Um, at the time, the disciples couldn't have prayed this because he hadn't yet left. But for us, we know that Jesus went to the cross, he was resurrected, and then he said, I'm going up to heaven, I'll be coming back. And so we would pray this because as we look around, we can see that, that this world is still broken, that there's still injustice, evil is still winning in many areas, and the longing of our heart is, God, we want everything to be made right. And so to do that, we, Jesus, you need to come back. That is the thing that we long for. That's the right prayer of our heart. But the second thing is, is that it's a more personal prayer. The second thing is this, Father, I want you to rule and reign in my life. And we would pray this because the, the kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. It's where he has his way. And we don't just want his way to be out, out there. We want it to be in our own lives, in our own hearts. So when we pray this, it, it will push us. It'll, um, it'll shape us. Because if we're praying this, what we're really saying is, Lord, Help me to be a faithful subject of your kingdom. So for example, there are many times in our lives where, where our own will, uh, like we want to go our own way. We have our own idea about what's best. And yet when we pray this, uh, 
Father, your kingdom come, what we're really saying is, Father, conform my will to yours. Help me to try not to be the king of my kingdom, but rather to be a subject in yours. Help me to have a soft heart and to be open to, to being pushed and shaped so that I'm not just doing what I want to do. Um, there may be other times where our resolve to follow God is weak. Like meaning we know what we should do, but, but we know it's going to be difficult. We know it's going to in, involve hardship or sacrifice, and so we're resistant. Having this expression or this idea as part of our prayer, what we're really saying is, Lord, give me the strength to follow you, to, to, to again be a faithful servant, to go where you lead, being confident that wherever you lead, though it may be difficult in the moment, is going to be so much better for me in the long term. See, really what this part of the prayer is, is pushing us to is, is this question. Do we want God's kingdom to come or do we want our kingdom to come? And do we know the difference between the two? Because sometimes I think we're praying fervently for something that we're sure is the right thing. I mean, we, it's so obvious, right? It's so obvious that we didn't even stop to ask God about it because we know what it is. So we're praying and praying and, and we want it to happen. We haven't stopped and said, Lord, is this best for me? Is this what you want? And then sometimes we get upset because God hasn't given us what we've been asking for and, and we miss the fact that he's given us what he thinks is best, even if it's completely contrary to what we've been asking for. When we have a rhythm of prayer where we're saying, Father, your kingdom come, it will help us to be soft-hearted enough to be compliant, malleable, so that we will be shaped and, and we will submit to his kingship. That we will reveal that we are, in fact, subjects of his, of his kingdom. See, true prayer isn't just about um, the things that we think we need. I mean, there's requests. Next week, we'll see. We definitely should be requesting things from God. But really, uh, it is also a process of refining our hearts and minds until we come fully under the rule and reign of God. And we do that because we trust him, because we know him, because we've already been changed by him, and we want to be changed further. So, so this beginning part of this prayer is one that I hope that we as a church, we can pray earnestly, that we would faithfully incorporate these themes into our prayer. We would be, we'd be praying, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, your kingdom come in my life, in the church, in our city, for we know, Lord, that you are a good father and a good king. That, that's really the beginning part of this prayer, this vertical dimension of prayer. If this is right, then the next part will be so much easier because we'll have a much better idea of what it is that we should be asking God for and, and expecting from him. So I'm gonna end by praying for us, praying these things over us and praying that we would have this same heart when we go to prayer each day. Father, I do thank you for the instructions that you give us in your word. Jesus, I'm so thankful for this answer that makes so clear what it is that, how we should begin in terms of approaching God. We're so thankful that we can say, Father, and we can come near and come close. Uh, Father, the truth is that you're the one who came close to us. You sent your son. Jesus coming in flesh means that we do not have to stay at a distance. Jesus dying on the cross for our sin means that there's nothing that's preventing us from coming near to you. Our sin has been washed away. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that we would come to you on a regular basis. I pray that it would be a rhythm of our lives, like eating and drinking and breathing. And Lord, that in that, you would, you would shape our hearts. Help us indeed to, to hallow your name in, in the words of our prayer, in the actions of our lives. And Lord, I pray too that, that your kingdom would come. Jesus, that you would return. We're, we're thankful in a sense that you've delayed because there's so many more people that we want to come to, to, come to faith. But Jesus, we long for things to be set right. And so I pray that for our world, I pray that for our own lives, our own hearts, that you would recalibrate us, shape us, transform us into your image so that we would rightly rejoice in all the things that you're doing and be full of hope, full of joy. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.